This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We are in a series, Walking in the Light, and we are now in the first letter of John the Apostle. He was writing at the end of the first century, and there was growing misinformation about Christianity and the authentic Christian life. And in response to that, John writes this letter. We are in the second chapter, beginning with verse 28, and we will read through chapter 3, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure Everyone who does right has been born of him. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin. Because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God. Nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. Let us pray. Lord. God, this is a difficult text, and it's hard to understand, and we are all living in difficult times. I pray that you would take this word 
and that you would so apply what we need to hear that we have not only understanding, but faith and communion with you and confidence and assurance and comfort as your children. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I am preaching from my home study. I have a study at the church, but since the pandemic have been primarily working out of the home. And in this study, there are about 30 or more three to four inch binders that have been collected first by my husband and I've been adding to them of illustrations. Preachers need illustrations for sermons. And so that's what we've got here in this study. Now our grandson Hunter is learning to read phonetically. He's in first grade and it was last week that he came down to visit me in my study and he spied one of those illustration binders with the word S-E-X. Hmm, he said, that's a new one. Is that like sax, saxophone? No, I said, it's something else. There's a book upstairs that you haven't read yet titled how babies are made. It's about that. Very interesting, he replied. Well, John is interested that we know how Christians are made and that we know with assurance that God is our father. And the passage today describes our paternity test. There are two tests that we see in this passage, our identity and the evidence. Our identity. What is your core identity? If someone asked you, who are you really? How would you answer? I mean, maybe you have that image of the masked singer, take it off, take it off. What if, who are you really? In his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, psychologist David Benner acknowledges that most of us find our identity in what we do or what we own or what others think of us. If Benner is correct, then it's no wonder that we grow weary with ourselves. If our identity is dependent upon us being the person that we've created, that person is always out of reach. It's always living in an illusion. That's because we cannot create ourselves to fit our own image. There's only one creator and that is God. Your life is a gift created by God in God's image. All of us have defaced that image by sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We read that in Romans 3, 23. But did you notice how we are addressed in this short passage? Verse 28. And now, 
little children. That Greek word little children means dear children. If you were in the South, it would be darling hearts or my sweetie pies. Six times in this short passage, we are addressed as dear children, children of God, beloved. Notice we are not addressed by the role that we provide. We're not addressed as servants or workers or agents. We are addressed in love, in the relationship that God has with us. We are his beloved children. Now, where do God's children come from? Um, my book upstairs is not going to help us with this. But the Bible is clear. God's children do not come through natural birth, but only through divine rebirth. In the gospel according to John, chapter 1, 12 and 13, it reads, but to all who received him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. In John 3, 3, Nicodemus, a religious leader, comes to Jesus by night and asks all kinds of questions. And Jesus answers with one response, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above or born anew. In the passage we read, John chapter 2, verse 29, we are addressed as children who are born of him. Now, I have to ask, is this your identity? It was not always mine. Growing up in the Presbyterian church, divine rebirth was never discussed. I was baptized as an infant and was taken to Sunday school and taught in confirmation class. I learned about the Bible, prayer, receiving the Lord's Supper, and obedience to the Ten Commandments. And as valuable as all of this knowledge was about God, I was missing a personal knowledge of God, a personal knowing of God. When I was 14 years old, I went on a vacation with my father and my brother to South Carolina. My mother was in a state mental hospital. She's, uh, she had and always uh, chronic mental illness. My older sister was staying with friends. We traveled for three days in a Volkswagen bug that was unair conditioned. And when we pulled into the driveway of our hosts, a young Christian couple with two small children came out. And no sooner had we gotten out of the car than we were embraced with hugs. We were taken inside and they put glasses of sweet iced tea in our hands. And I thought, who are these people? They were alive with joy. I 
came to discover throughout that week that they were people full of love, God's love. And when it was time for dinner that evening, I sat down at a table spread with a linen cloth and it was set with beautiful china dinnerware and silver utensils and fresh flowers at the centerpiece. The meal was delicious, but what I remember most were the homemade yeast rolls served with butter and jelly. I know Jesus used two fish and five loaves to reveal himself to a crowd of thousands. And he used unleavened bread and a cup of wine to reveal himself to 12 disciples. But Jesus used homemade yeast rolls served with butter and jelly to reveal himself to a 14-year-old girl who very much wanted to be found. And this Christian couple, they spoke easily of Jesus as if he was there in the room, which is what they actually believed. And when they read from the Bible, they looked like they were enjoying a delicious meal or opening a present. The way that they interacted with one another and with me felt as though I was standing in sunshine. I, I wanted what they had. I remember sitting on their couch telling them that I wanted whatever it was that made their lives look like sunshine. And they assured me that what I wanted was Jesus and that he would live in my life if I asked him to. I asked Jesus to come into my life and to give his good and beautiful life in exchange for my sin and my sadness. And do you know what happened? Jesus came in to my life, but he did something much more. He he brought me into his life with God in a new birth. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, reminds us that even a little knowledge of God is worth far more than a knowledge, a great deal of knowledge about him. So let me go back to the question. What is your identity? Is it what you do or what you own or what others think of you or even what you know about God? Or is your identity founded on the reality that you are a well-loved child of God? There are many who grow up in the church who do not have a definitive or dramatic experience to share awareness of this new life of God is more gradual for some. Whether you have a definitive experience or a gradual awareness, divine rebirth is because of God's prior decision to give you new life in the spirit through the seed of God's word planted in your heart. Whenever we hear God's word and we say, yes, that's for me, that is God's spirit confirming our new life. Assurance of new birth is not based on a feeling. 
there is evidence that confirms it. That's the second thing John wants us to see in the passage that we read. Authentic Christians show evidence. The evidence is found in our relationship to sin. Now look at chapter 3, verse 5. It reads, you know that he, Christ, was revealed to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. The word translated as takeaway is not the same as the takeaway food we now order from a restaurant and eat at home. The word means to get rid of, like taking the trash out of the house in order to get rid of it. Jesus Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin, to get the practice of sin out of our lives. Now, one of the books I read with uh, Hunter recently was about a family of five that moved into a new house in a beautiful new neighborhood. They loved the house. But no one in the family wanted to take the responsibility of taking the trash out. They thought it was beneath them. Someone else should do it. So the trash builds up and it builds up. And the family continues to live in the house with trash. And they start to have to sit on it and walk on it until finally one day they can't find the baby who's now stuck deep under the pile of trash. And that's when they realize they've had enough of living with trash. Jesus Christ came into the world to take out the trash that we've made. He came to save sinners, taking the trash out of our lives. But there are too many people who misrepresent the gospel. They live as though Christ came into the world to save sin instead of saving sinners. They live as though their sin is saved. Therefore, they profess with their lips that God is their father, Jesus their Lord, but they live according to their own desires rather than the holiness of God revealed in scripture and seen in Jesus Christ. Authentic Christians bear evidence that they are children of God. The trash is being taken out. The sin is being taken away. I saw a Facebook post of a friend in Colorado who gave birth yesterday to two twin daughters. And these healthy baby girls were bundled up side by side with these big bows around their heads. Their lives are evident to all. And in a few days, those girls are going to go home and join their three brothers who are all under the age of five. Let's have a moment of prayer for my friend and her husband. Oh, okay. Their lives are evident. Their new birth. So what is evident to all about our new birth? We no longer practice sin. 
in our in RSV, which is the translation that we use, we find the word commits. No one who commits sin is of God. Anyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. It It's unfortunate because it's a present participle, which means it's something that we keep on doing. So listen to how Eugene Peterson in the message translates 1 John 3 verses 9 and 10. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them, making them who they are. It's not in the nature of the God-born to practice and parade sin. Here's how you can tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteous ways is not from God, nor is the one who won't love brother or sister. A simple test. So, do you pass the paternity test? Does your life bear evidence that Jesus is taking the trash out, taking away your sin? It's gradual, but it is progressive. It will be seen in your growing impulse to do what is right. It will be seen in your growing impulse to love others in truth and action. In conclusion, toward the end of his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer said that if we are to judge how well we understand Christianity, we must find out how much we make of the thought of being God's child with God as our father. If this relationship of father and child is not what is prompting and controlling our worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, then we do not understand Christianity very well. How well? How well do you understand Christianity? Do you know God as your father, yourself as his beloved child? John, chapter, 1 John 2, 28 says that when Christ is revealed, when he's unmasked, children of God will have confidence. That word confidence has in it this image of rushing up with cheerful courage and unreserved speech. Like you just can't talk enough and you're just so happy. There's nothing in between you. It will be bigger and better reunion than any of our family reunions following this pandemic. Those who have this relationship are called to abide in it, remain close. And those who want this relationship, it is ours for the asking. This is what the table of the Lord is all about. So let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to become children of God. It's because you made us and then you bought us back and you are ready to clean us up and you are ready to grow us up so that we become like you and know the love and joy. We make this prayer, O oh Lord, that it would be our life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. 
If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.